Starting a new creative project can be daunting, but it can also be exciting and often extremely rewarding. It's the beginning of a journey, one that you hope you can share with as many people as possible. Starting to do something you love is filled with expectations and untold possibilities, but what about the end of a project? How do you even begin to conclude something you've poured your heart and soul into, and do it in a way that's satisfying for both you and for those who love your work? A good ending needs to provide closure, finality, and perhaps a little bit of hope for what's to come as you look towards the next new beginning. Today on the show, Kate Kostersky, Krista Harada and I discuss how and why we started reading comics by looking at some of our favourite comic book endings. Welcome to That's the Issue. I'm uh, Kate Kostersky. I am the voice and person behind the Multiversity Comics social media. So I run our Twitter and our Facebook accounts. Um, I've written on the site doing a little bit of everything. Um, Single issue reviews, mostly graphic novels these days, television. I put together the Saturday morning panels column. And outside of Multiversity, I've done work at um, Panel X Panel. And I've been on Women Write About Comics. Awesome. And what about you, Krista? Cool. So I do weekly reviews for Multiversity. I also am a staff writer over at Outright Geekery, and I've done some TV essays, uh, some general comics essays, and I'm just uh, chugging through reviews as fast as I can do them. <laughs> that's, the, that's the goal for everyone, I suppose, isn't it, really? <laughs> I mean, you know, poor me, I get to review a bunch of good comics, so. Yeah, yeah. I think that sometimes, because when I write about comics, I'm always like, Sometimes I sit at the desk and I'm like, oh, okay, right, I've got to get through this. And then I think, actually, this isn't work. <laughs> this yeah. is just me. This is me talking about brightly coloured superheroes. This is fine. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good job. I enjoy doing it. Yeah, People can yeah. have worse jobs. Exactly, <laughs> That's for <yeah>. sure. <laughs> and I'm sure we all do have slightly worse jobs like that pay us money. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, the day yeah. job is fine, but it's not as much fun as this. So, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so you've been, Krista, you've been writing for the uh, Multiversity Comics for a little while now. Is it about a year, maybe? Probably about half a year. Okay. Yeah. And how are you enjoying it? I really like it. Everyone's really friendly. Um, I think the editorial standard is really high, which is nice for me. And it pushes me to kind of dig into the the technique of writing about comics a little bit more than I had before. So I'm learning a lot and uh, reading all sorts of new stuff. Yeah. Does it teach you to kind of, I mean, well, I'm speaking for myself, really. It taught me how to like read comics differently in a, in a weird way. Like I think I read comics with a lot more of a critical eye than I used to because I feel as though I have to kind of not have an opinion on it, but kind of form form words out of my opinions. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I So I've done literary criticism for a long time, so I was already there in terms of uh, picking things apart, but in terms of having the vocabulary and the language for saying why I didn't like something or why mm. something wasn't working, this, this is the place that's really helped me get there. And as everyone can see, uh, I end up knocking against certain concepts when I get stuck. So going mm. back and reading my older stuff is fun because it's been a learning process. It's like, oh, yeah, I didn't understand how to talk about that. And there's stuff I won't understand how to talk about in the future, too. Yeah, yeah. But you learn. And that's that's the that's a really exactly. good thing about it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
And have you had any, did you have any experience kind of writing um, like critically before you started writing for Multiversity? Yeah, I went to grad school for uh, creative writing and uh, lit theory. And oh, so wow. I, yeah, I decided I didn't want to do that <laughs> afterward. <laughs> it was a wonderful experience, but I, that's behind me now. Mm. And uh, so I've always read comics with a critical eye, but I didn't really realize that I could, that there were people who wrote about them because I never read reviews for years and years and years. And my partner, actually, his mother used to work for the Comics Journal as an interviewer and a journalist. So I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's a print publication. It's like the the elite of the elite. There's no way I can ever do anything like this. And then it just kind of happened. So yeah. here I am. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Well, it's, it's good to it's good to have you. It's good to like have you. Uh, like I I know that I really appreciate your voice, and I know that all the management staff and everyone that reads your reviews do as well. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. And it's, it's <laughs> yeah, I'm speaking for the management, and there's a part of the management here with us. So you know, I, I know that I'm not making it up. <laughs> thank you. I really appreciate that, and it's just a lot of fun. And my challenge is not to uh, not to get too impressed with myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll stop now then <laughs> <laughs> but i really appreciate it and it's just it's great to work with you guys it's a lot of fun and kate you've been um with the site for a little bit longer as well you've been um kind of part of the um social media side of the t- team you've been part of the management team for a while you've been kind of um helping us all stay in check and helping us promote oh, yeah. our own works which is like you know half the battle really <laughs> so i started in um Summer 2017 with doing the reviews and less than six months later, it was before the end of that year, um, our senior editor, Brian Salvatore, came to me and said, you seem to know this social media thing. We want to make a social media manager position. Would you be interested? I said, okay. And uh, easiest job interview I ever had. Um, (laughs) So most, I would say 85 to 90% of what I do on the site is writing tweets to try and promote all y'all's work. Um, sometimes I have fun with it. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> uh, there are some, uh, some reviews it's hard to, um, it is hard sometimes to find quality content that is eye catching. Um, mm-hmm. but the fact that I, I can write for the web and I say this cause I'm, um, I'm in the middle of a job interviews on my day job. Um, I'm always, I'm always thinking, how can I say something concisely? And the fact mm. that I have been doing the social media has helped with writing more concise reviews and better reviews. Mm. And I think like the the social media side is because it's it's a tricky needle to thread, isn't it? Really, because you you've got to find stuff that's eye catching, but at the same time, you if there's potentially negative reviews, which we do have, you know, people have, you know, honest and varied opinions on the site. But I think one of the, you know, one of the tricky things for you is you're not going to, you know, if someone writes a negative review about something, you you don't want to go and tag all the creators in and go, look, look yeah. at this bad review of your work, you know? Well, one thing with our reviews, and I've so, I, I know I've said this on the first season of this show, is that why I look at multiversity as sort of the NPR of comics, because mm. we're not, we don't, we don't deliberately set out to be mean. We don't deliberately set out to trash. We try to be very thoughtful in our criticism. I'm thinking of one of our reviews from this week. Uh, I think it was the Marvel team up book where it was just the reviewer just didn't like it, but he wasn't nasty about it. He was just very thoughtful of, 
I didn't like it because of this. There's a justification behind everything that is said, whether we like it or we don't like it. And it's not, we're not trashy. And that's one of the great things about working here is I'm working with very thoughtful, intelligent, caring people that want to see our creators grow and do better. And sometimes, and it's, and that's what makes it great. Definitely agree. (laughs) (laughs) I think one thing we, because I'm, I'm a believer in, and this is something an old old boss in a previous career once said to me, he says, always be learning. If you're not learning, you're in the box, meaning you're dead. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he, was a, he was a fun boss. He was a little weird <laughs> sometimes, but he was fun. Um, I think we still, of course, in multiversity, we still have room to grow. And one of the things I'm really happy to see this year is that we've expanded our coverage to do web comics. I'm seeing a lot more indie reviews on the site. Um, myself even contributing to some of those. And I'll be honest, some of the interviews I've done have been Kate's doing favors for her friends. But <laughs> we are going beyond as much as we possibly can, the big two. And some weeks, some weeks it's a little tougher than others. Some weeks I look at our reviews, it's like, oh, great, it's all Marvel and DC again. But then sometimes you get somebody that wants to do Ahoy Comics or wants to, Krista is a great example of this. I'll just shower more praise on you. Um, you're always doing a Dark Horse book or an image book. Um, mm-hmm. You're looking beyond the big two publishers. Um, and that broadens the accessibility of comics for everybody. I have a library science degree. I have a master's in library science. And two of the five rules of library science that we were taught in library school are every reader its book and every book its reader. And I always say that to people about comics. It's not just superheroes. Yeah, everybody knows the Avengers because they're going to have a big movie that's going to break the internet in a couple of weeks. (laughs) And everybody knows Shazam because that movie's come out. But there's so much more in comics for everybody that you will find your book and your book will find you. It's crucial really that like we do what we can to kind of promote these works, but we're also, you know, completely honest as well. And we have this kind of honest opinions. And and I think that's, that's where like what, what you were saying, Krista, about being able to form your, your opinions and being able to, you know, kind of learn how to speak about these things critically. Um, And, finding the positive in the negative and, and you know finding the the appropriate way to say you like this or you didn't like this um and i think that all contributes to the the art form really because you know you're able to then turn around and go this is good because of this or this is this is not so good because of this um and i think it really it really kind of helps with the the whole you know it, it lifts everyone up do you know what i mean Exactly. And I mean, you know, no one, no one cares about your hot take on Twitter, to be perfectly frank, the rhetorical (laughs) you. It's like, oh, I hate this. It's like, well, can you tell me why you don't like it? Or like, what, what is it about it? Do you hate looking at it? Does it bore you? Is there too much text on the page? Like even digging a level deeper helps people, I don't know, you know, be be better comic readers and thus better comic critics. So I appreciate that Multiversity does that. And those are the environments that I try to stay in, mm. <laughs> in little fortresses on the internet. <laughs> yeah. And what do you think? Because there, there have been quite a few comics critics that have gone on to be comics creators. Like, why do you think that is? I think, well, just speaking for myself, I think uh, a lot of us are, are aspiring comic creators. <laughs> 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 and, you know, and... In a in a self serving way, it is a good it's a good way to kind of break into the fringes of the industry. But 
we read a lot of comics and the more you read, the more you're likely to have your own ideas or to just start kind of activating that part of your brain that thinks about things differently. Because if you see something brand new on the page or an old idea presented in a new way that you didn't expect, it's going to fire up something creative for you as well. And a great example of this, I'm going to pimp one of our columns right now is called We Want Comics. And it's the idea of us a rotating cast of the staffers taking properties that they love, whether they be TV shows or movies or video games, that that one's been really popular, and saying, well, what would this look like if it was a comic? Um, we've done everything from the Hellboy universe, and yes, that's a comic already, but we've explored other aspects of the Hellboy universe, to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the TV show, to, and this is me totally pimping my own work here, Elton John. <laughs> Oh, I would totally read an Elton John comic. Yeah, yeah. I love that article you did about Elton John comics. I think that's wild. I got the idea um, shortly after. Um, I am, I'm, I'm a big Elton John fan. Um, and for a birthday that ended in zero this past year, I said to my mother and my sister, all I want are tickets to see his farewell tour. And they provided. And when I went to see it, I was amazed by the artwork and the color and the, the, the life that was and the care that went into the visual presentation of this farewell tour. And it was a beautiful way to send out a 50-year career. But I got to thinking as I'm sitting there like, wow, what would this look like if it was a comic? And the idea started there. And then I was kind of kicking myself because like somebody's going to think of this and they're going to sell it at the farewell tour. And I missed my, and number one, I, I, I missed my calling. And number two, I missed getting it. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it's awesome. And I think like you, you're both exactly right. You've all, we've all got that kind of the desire to, to read comics, to absorb comics, but also to kind of be a part of, you know, making comics in a small way. And I think we all, the more you read and the more, um, the more stories and the more ideas you get thrown at you, you can't help but start thinking of your own ideas, can you? And it's, it does get kind of, um, it does get exciting to kind of, to think about well, what would I do and how would I write it? And I think that in turn aids your criticism as well, because I think you can turn around and go, well, you know, was this the best way to present this? And the only way you can do that is with potentially, you know, adding your own kind of creative eye to it and go, well, actually, you know, is this is this the way I would do it? You know, and, and what makes me think that how I would do it would be better than than their way? Does that make sense? Totally. Yes. Um, so the the purpose of this show is uh, is to get to know you guys through the comics that you love. And so I asked you um, before you came onto the show to bring uh, each bring with you a comic that is important to you in some way. Um, and so, um, Krista, we'll start with you. Um, what is the comic that you've decided to bring with you to the show? So I brought uh, Doom Patrol issue number 63, which is the final issue in Grant Morrison's uh, legendary run. Amazing. And I... I'm really glad you picked this because I'm a big Grant Morrison fan. Um, and um, I've had people on the show before to talk about kind of Grant Morrison, some of the Grant Morrison's other works. Uh, but I've never really spoken about Doom Patrol much. Um, is this whole run like a big favorite of yours? It is one of the comics that my... So, you know, I did have a partner get me into reading comics because I read Batman when I was younger. And he said, well, if you like that, here's a list of stuff. And this was kind of the the second tier 
that he gave me about 10 years ago. And when I read it, I just, I didn't know that you could do the kinds of stuff that he did with this particular run. And as I found it in a lot of his other work, and it just kind of blew the top off of my head. Yeah. I mean, I think Grant Morrison does that to to everyone, doesn't he? Really? Like, they just think he does yeah yeah i think i think that's kind of what he's going for as well like i think it's not a byproduct it's the actual destination oh, no. isn't it he's very pleased that that's the effect <laughs> and you know good for him because it takes a lot of skill yeah yeah um so doom patrol 63 is as you say it's the final issue um it came out in uh, january 1993 or that's the that's the date on it anyway um it was obviously written by grant morrison penciled by richard case uh, and inked and colored by uh, daniel vozzo uh, letters by John Workman and edited by Tom Pyre. So um, you chose the final issue of the volume um, of his run. Um, what was your reasoning behind that? So it was a it was a tough call between this one and 62, which is actually the uh, the metamorphosis of Danny the Street into Danny the World. Mm-hmm. And these are the two issues that just make me ball every time I read them. Oh, wow, really? Because we've yeah, I have a real soft spot for Jane and Cliff and not necessarily their romance with each other, but just their evolution through the whole run as characters. Mm-hmm. And so seeing what really tipped it was, I mean, you know, he's Cliff comes and gets Jane out of hell. And it's just it's a touching, strange, chilling, weird meditation on mental illness and psychological integration and the the drudgery of the daily world. And it just, it gets to me (laughs) in a lot of ways. But that's good. That's what it's, that's what it's supposed to do, isn't it really? That's what like, that's what I love about these like comics and especially final issues. You know, you want that to have that kind of impact as well, don't you? Exactly. And going back to it now with more of a critical eye than before, you know, it's a really tight way to clean up the series for Rachel Pollack to come on. And she did amazing things with it after Grant. Mm -hmm. And it just, it leaves all the characters in an emotionally resonant place with all of the ridiculous plot points that Morrison came up with, but a creator who comes along afterward can do anything that they want with them. So it's, it serves kind of a dual purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And this is going to be potentially a bigger question for you than for, for anyone else, because you've chosen the Grant Morrison comic, but can you um, run down what happens in this issue? Yes. <laughs> so I can, it might be helpful if I run through briefly what happened before this, and I'll try to be as, as quick as possible. Sure. So a character named the Candlemaker, who is just a, a Grant Morrison idea, we'll leave it at that, and you can kind of get a sense, sent <laughs> Jane to, as he put it, hell. And so Cliff is back in the hospital where they first met at the end of the last issue, and he realizes that he needs to go after her. And so when we open, uh, uh, Jane K. Chalice, which is her quote-unquote real name, is in a mental hospital. Uh, The police found her on the side of the road on a bridge, and they brought her in. She's She's been diagnosed as a schizophrenic, and she's being treated. As we find out later, she goes through ECT treatment which is incredibly terrible. But in her internal landscape, um, the, the issue is titled The Empire of Chairs. And there's this wild, weird, crazy internal landscape going on where the Empire of Chairs, actual chairs, are fighting these creatures, uh, which are called the Keysmiths. And they're what they're trying to do is they're basically trying to order the universe. So it's Jane's internal, externalized struggle 
to realize who she is and to fight off kind of the crushing normalcy of the hell that the candle maker has put her in. And then all sorts of str- all sorts of strange things happen. And then at the very end of the issue, uh, she's been put through therapy. She's released from the hospital. She's leading a completely normal life, which is, to the readers of this comic, completely devastating. All the color has quite literally drained out of her world. And then she's about to uh, go off and commit suicide. And then Cliff comes fi- comes and finds her. And he takes her to go live on Danny the world. And that's the end. And that probably sounds completely strange to know to people who have never read this before. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you have you read this, uh, Kate? Did you read it before uh, this podcast? Or have you um, have you read it before? I have not. And now I thankfully now that I have um DC Universe, and they're actually adding the entire back catalog of their comics to the app, similar to what Marvel Unlimited is. Um, I want to go read the rest of this series. So reading this in isolation, I found it to be this fascinating look at mental illness, um, showing some of the uh, stigmas still around mental illness and treatment of mental illness. I will, uh, it was shocking to watch Jane go through ECT and the pain Mm -hmm. that it was putting to her and the doctor that wanted to advocate for her because it's as you can talk to many women in America in in America, I'll say in America, but I'm sure this is a worldwide phenomenon in uh, 2019 where doc- that will say, I've told my doctor X, but the doctor still doesn't listen to me. And mm. even this case, the doctor was saying, this is wrong. This is not how Jane should be treated. And the doctors were brushing her off. Um, I love the color application in this issue from just how washed out the real world was, um, the world of the hospital. And to Jane's mind where it was just vibrant vibrant color and you could see that that was her that was where she was living that's where she was thriving and this real world was just sucking her soul out Mm. what's really insidious about that is that jane's actually done quite a bit of incredibly traumatic and difficult work throughout the series to integrate not only her personalities but her childhood trauma and so when the key, when the candle maker throws her into hell, she's actually the most integrated she's been. And it's been through her struggle mentally through dozens of issues. And so for her to be treated like this in this particular way is kind of extra horrifying when you've, when you've looked at the run as a whole. Like you both said it perfectly. Like the, the, the fact that she's been sent to hell and to a person that suffers from, you know, mental, uh, mental issues is, you know, that their version of hell is, is the fact that no one believes them or that, you know, what they think is real is not real. And what they, what they want most of all is something that is completely fictitious and, um, and, you know, and they're, they're forced into this way of life or the, this kind of procedure, you know, in her case, having this ECT, which is, you know, as you both said, horrifying procedure. Um, and that, that, that is hell, isn't it? For, for, for those with, you know, that have suffered from mental issues in the past, it, to have this kind of, to have no one believe them, to have, you know, you shut off from friends and family and, and it's, it's just awful for this character. Exactly. And it's also it's also interesting because Marsha, who is the uh, the psychiatrist that Jane's working with, who is advocating for her, also ends up sexualizing her in kind of this idle, I'm going to say a kind of creepy way. And Morrison's doing that thing that he does where he just adds these human layers onto these people. So on this one hand... 
This is, you know, a doctor advocating for a woman who can't advocate for herself. On the other hand, Jane's still an object no matter where she goes. And that's really interesting and just adds kind of a, an unpleasant but I think necessary edge to the story. Yeah, there's no there's no good and bad, is there, in the real world? Like, it seems like the real world is all kind of exploitative in some way. Exactly. Um, like, the, the male doctor wants her to kind of prove his point that ECT is, is valid. Mm-hmm. And and potentially, the, you know, the, the female doctor wants to kind of almost rescue her to, to make herself feel better or almost kind of, as you say, like kind of idolize her in some way and just be this kind of, be her savior in some way. And it's like, it's none of it seems to be about... Jane's welfare it all seems to be about servicing the needs of others exactly and you know without idealizing the relationship that Jane and Cliff have or even kind of putting a label on it Cliff's kind of the only person who's seen her for anything more than that and who's given her space to to exist and who's actually uh kind of been pulled along quite literally in the issue where he goes inside of her consciousness and helps her uh, not jump in the well, so to speak. Yeah, he's a he's a man without a without a heart, and now without a brain at the end of the series too. So he's just as dislocated as she is. So it makes a kind of cosmic sense. Yeah. And you said that this was like the second tier of comics that you that you read. How old were you when you when you first read this? Uh, I think I was twenty three. Yeah, okay. about 23. So that's quite a formative time then for like kind of, you know, definitely your mind to, <laughs> you know, you've grown up reading like kind of other other comics and books and, and stories and things. And then you get to that age where it's like, what else is out there? And it's like, well, Grant Morrison's out there. <laughs> and he is very mm-hmm. out there. And I just jumped in with both feet after that. And I was probably pretty insufferable for a couple of years. <laughs> after that but and you know i read transmetropolitan and i read ronin and all sorts of other stuff so yeah. it was it was a good time that's yeah it is a, a very good time and it, it does as you say like kind of in for good and bad it does kind of open your it feels like it opens your mind and as you say you're like you become insufferable because you're like yeah but have you have you felt that you know reality is fiction and <laughs> fiction is reality and- <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. it's that it's that first tier kind of quote-unquote enlightenment stage where you get to walk around and feel superior to everybody else <laughs> because you have the answers yeah. <laughs> you know that the dream world is out there and you're going to visit it again <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, Kate, what uh, comic have you bought with you? That's funny. I didn't realize that uh, we both, Chris and I both brought um, ending issues because we both brought, brought yes. with us issues from the ends of certain creators run. So I brought Ms. Marvel 38, which was the final issue of G. Willow Wilson's run. And I was actually just looking back at the review I did because I was, when I, saw this as kind of like, this is mine, because this was the comic that I started reading comics as an adult. And I was attracted to it because the character is from my home state of New Jersey. And I was saying, I wanted to see, is someone going to do my home state of New Jersey right? Um, New Jersey tends to be the butt of America's jokes a lot. Um, all you got to do is look at shows like Jersey Shore is a great example. And I came for, hey, Jersey homegirls got to stick together and all the little in-jokes about living in North New- in a North Central New Jersey. And I stayed because the story was just that good. Now, in this issue, it's a self-contained story. The major storylines from G. Willow Wilson's run have been all wrapped up. And a lot of what had been happening to that point is Kamala had sort of been on this journey of self-discovery, trying to learn more about her powers, learn more about who she was. Um, while trying to still be a normal 16-year-old dealing with school with her own 
romantic entanglements, dealing with family changes as her brother got married and became a father of his own. But this issue is really a self-contained story using the metaphor of video games to explain how she's still feeling lost. She thinks she's got everything figured out. She's okay with being the superhero. She's okay with being the teenager. But she still feels like something's not right. And her and her friends go through this wonderful journey, literally, through a wormhole, through a trip of a variety of video game genres. So they do everything from the early 8-bit video games that these kids probably only saw in YouTube videos, to World of Warcraft, to all kinds of video games. It was just deep dives into these deep thoughts, but it was done in an age-appropriate and a fun way that you didn't feel very cerebral. It was like, it's about as anti-Grant Morrison as you can get. (laughs) But it touches on that, but it doesn't shy away from digging into those deeper philosophical thoughts. And what I loved is that there was a rotating set of creative teams on these pages. And every one of them had their own art style. Every one of them used the video game style to their advantage. But everything still worked together. It didn't feel dissonant. Everything was in perfect sync. There's almost to the point that you're reading this and you've realized there are guest writers, there are guest artists on this issue, but everything was so, was working in this beautiful ballet. Loads of people were working on this issue. Um, so it's uh, it came out this year. So it came out February this year. It's Miss Marvel number 38. Um, it was, uh, the writers on it were G. Willow Wilson, Devin Grayson, uh, E-Viewing, Jim Zub and Saladin Ahmed. And the pencilers were Nico Leon, Takeshi Miyazawa, Joey Vasquez, uh, Kevin Lebranda, Minkyu Young, and Ian Herring. And that's that's a hell of a lot of talent on one book. Um, and, you know, Saladin Ahmed, who's taken over, taken on the reins of Ms. Marvel now in the magnificent Ms. Marvel, uh, which issue one came out last month, was it, or this month? Yes, it was, it was the end of last month, I think. Yeah, um, so he's involved as well. Yeah, and it's interesting to note that G. Willow Wilson was the writer that opened in the first nine pages, mm-hmm. and it was Saladin Ahmed that closed the issue with the, his last three pages. So it was almost a pa- it was a passing of the torch. Yeah, that's poetic. In a way. Yeah. And it gave us a preview of what we can expect mm-hmm. in The Magnificent Ms. Marvel. And when I read it at the time, I was like, all right, my girl's in good hands. We're okay with this. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask, really, because it, it's it's quite an interesting technique, really, that this is G. Willow Wilson's last issue um, writing Ms. Marvel, but then she's actually not writing the majority of the issue. She's handed over to, to other people to kind of take that reins. Like, you know, how how kind of conscious do you think that decision was, really, when it came to kind of leaving the book? I think it was absolutely conscious. Um, I say this because I always look at things like TV shows when they end. I love it when they can end on their own time and their own terms. Mm. Um, a great example of this, and actually it's funny, I was looking back at the review and I made a joke about how um, Winchester Boys from Supernatural that I figured G. Willow Wilson and Kamala Khan were going to be like that on, couple in high school that was together from freshman year and then they break up two weeks before graduation. You're like, what the heck? <laughs> and, a month, and, and a month and change later, Supernatural announces its ending after its 15th season. But both of these case, in both of these cases, these properties are going out on their own time and their own terms. And they have the time to craft this thoughtful goodbye and this thought and this, this very beautifully done thank you to the fans. 
And that's what I loved about this issue. And I think that G. Willow Wilson was really conscious about bringing these folks in because she wanted this not to be a farewell, not to make people sad, but to be a celebration. And the issue is a celebration. It's a celebration of friendship and what Kamala needs and what will ground her, no matter what she does in her life, is going to be her friends. And it really is that celebration. And it really, for me, was just a beautiful celebration. A little bittersweet again, because like I said, I thought those two were going to be together forever. But it's a good, but it went out make in a very hopeful way. Yeah. And you touched on briefly the fact that the, that Ms. Marvel as a character and as a comic was what got you back into reading comics. Uh, is, so is that why you've chosen this issue as, as like a favorite of yours to bring to the show? Yes, this is exactly. It was, is what brought me back. It's a, it's my homegirl from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, every time I would see a certain, there were certain little in-jokes in the series, references to towns, references. There was one um, last summer that was taught, that w- had, um, I think Ms. Marvel had like a TV or a radio on in the background of her house. And it was talking about um, problems with the trains going into New York Penn Station. And that was a big thing in, for all, for anyone who was commuting from New Jersey that summer, because uh, Penn Station, the infrastructure and the trains going into New York City were a hot mess. And it was it was called the summer of hell, literally, um, because it was just so many train delays, so many canceled trains that it was just that nice touch of these are real life Im- coming into art. Yeah. And that's what made it more real for me. It's like, hey, this girl really does live here. She's really facing the fact that it's going to take her an extra 20 minutes to get into New York because the tunnel on the tunnel that goes um, into Penn Station is half shut down. <laughs> Well, that's that's I like I like hearing that because you know obviously Spider Man and almost every other Marvel hero is based in New York City and you know and there's some issues like uh, I know that Mark Wade and Chris Samney really made an effort on their Daredevil run to make New York a, a, a vital character in the book. Yeah, it really it made the state a character yeah. because that is part of Mar- of Kamala Khan's identity. Uh, obvious, and the other a- part aspect that is a major aspect of her identity is her. Muslim faith. And that was something else that was beautiful in this issue is these, this run was that G. Willow Wilson took the opportunity to gently educate folks on the Muslim faith mm. and on aspects of daily prayer, um, using uh, the fact um, how Kamala and her parents would sometimes convert, um, would sometimes switch up languages and would, she would mention certain terms and she would gently explain what they were to folks. And I think at a time when the Islamic faith is still not understood fully by some folks, and there's still a lot of prejudice and stereotype around it, this did a beautiful job of exploring that faith in the social discourse. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and did you have you read this one, Krista? Did you uh, did you read this at the time? So I read, I think, the first six issues and then dropped off for not because I didn't enjoy it, but because I got distracted by something. And so this is my first time hopping back on. And what an issue to come back to! I mean, this was just a joy to read, both as a video game fan and as a comics fan. It, it really does capture like the whole of Ms. Marvel, doesn't it really? Like it's got all the characters in it. It's got all who they are. You don't really, I think you you get an impact, the greater impact having followed her through, you know, I think the legacy number is like 57. So like the last 57 issues. Um, but you can just pick it up and read it as one single issue as well. 
Exactly. And I love, so this is one of the books uh, when it came out that made a lot of people who had no, no little to no representation in comics very happy and made a small subset of people who have always had representation in comics very annoyed, let's say. And one thing that I love about this, too, is aside from the video game tropes and kind of the tenderness that all of these people are showing each other, it's a really fun way to kind of compress the the collaborative nature of comics into one issue. It's like, yeah, well, you know, Kamala hasn't had 40 years of 30 different creators working on her, but she just had kind of the cream of the crop in one issue. So let's keep it moving. I thought that was very cool. Yep, And it's something that folk, I'm sure was designed that folks who maybe they want to start reading Ms. Marvel when Saladin Ahmed takes over, they can start here. If they're exactly and they followed along from the beginning, it's a, it's a thank you and it's a tribute to those fans. And this is an interesting thing that I've discovered as I was reading this is that G. Willow Wilson really just meant for this to be a side project. And it was maybe going to be like 10 issues a year. And I remember that. Yeah. And it later became, she was, and it later got her on the New York Times bestseller list. There are actual academic journal articles and book chapters that have talked about Kamala Khan. You see more and more girls and women dressing up as Kamala Khan at at cons. It has gone from just it, it, for something that she really just thought was going to be like, oh, film little side project. I'll write this for Marvel and then go collect my checks and go somewhere else. It has become a cultural phenomenon. Kamala Khan was the face of Marvel for the 2016 election. She was the face that told that um, told people go vote. You can't get much more cultural phenomenon than that. And that's what I really love about comics, because just when they when they hit on that pulse of culture, just because of being a pulp medium, they're always going to kind of reflect the best and the worst about us. And I feel like that this is a moment where they reflect the best. And it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And I think this issue captures that spirit as well, doesn't it? It captures that kind of energy of just like positivity. And this is, you know, this is what comics should do. They should bring you together as friends um, and they should, you know, they should highlight the diversity in people and celebrate the diversity and celebrate like you know just just being good people i have a 10 year old niece and i always look at comics these days as to if i like it a lot of it is i like it because i can hand it to my 10 year old niece who is um number one she's on the autism spectrum and number two she's a very reluctant reader according to my sister she's not big into books which breaks my sister's heart breaks my heart um as a librarian but I look at things and say, can I give this to Cassie? And would she would she at least would she be in, somewhat interested in it? And Ms. Marvel is one of those that I would feel okay giving it to Cassie and saying, Aunt Kate says this is good. You can read this. Um, I this is one of those series. There's and there's not many of them to be honest. Mm-hmm. But this is one of those series that I know can bridge the generation gap in a way. It's something that parents can read with their kids and they can pass on that love of comics to the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. And you touched on it, Kate, earlier. What I love about the 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 choices that you both made with comics is that they are both the endings of the the particular run that they're doing. You know, so in Ms. Marvel's case, it is the the end of that particular series. It's the end of G. Willow Wilson's um, you know tenure on the character, um, and then it gets picked up again in a brand new kind of number one with Saladin Ahmed. Um, but what's different with Doom Patrol is that there is an issue sixty four. How do these work as endings to characters? You know, how difficult do you think it is for creators to to write an ending for a character 
knowing full well that they're the story, the world, the characters, they're going to continue on, you know, they in, in some form or another under someone else's, under someone else's watchful eye. Well, Kate touched on it uh, with Ms. Marvel and Supernatural. I think knowing ahead of time that you get to give them a, a proper ending uh, is, is key to that. You know, we all too, there are far too many books that just get canceled or something happens and you never kind of get that closure. And, you know, then sometimes you get the closure and it's not the closure that you wanted as a reader. But I think uh, for any, for any, I'm going to say, I'm going to use the term good kind of tentatively here for any good comics creator, for anyone who loves comics, who really understands the collaborative nature of the medium, I think it would be kind of an honor to pass them off to someone else and know that it might not be. They might not be the characters that you familiarize yourself with that you kind of gave birth to, but they're going to continue. And at least for me, that feels kind of comforting in a way. Yeah. Does it affect the, does it kind of affect the impact of that ending? Do you think? I don't think so. I think if it's a, if the ending is um, emotionally resonant, I think uh, with the the story that's unfolded, uh, I think that that's all you can do. Yeah. It feels like a see you later more than a than a closing the door goodbye forever, and that's what I got when I read this. When I re, when I reread this issue, it was it was not so much a goodbye; it was a I'll see you later, and that's a comp. And, and I find that to be a beautifully written character because it's a beautifully written way to write a character because it's a tribute and thanking the fans, but saying, "Don't worry, this journey's not over yet. It's just evolving. It's just changing." And that, and that's all the the kind of I think that's the only ending we can ever really expect from superheroes, really, isn't it? You know, because they're always going to continue on, especially superheroes in the in the Marvel and DC universe. You know, there's always, even if their ending is you know them you know dying in a blaze of glory, there's always that chance that someone somewhere down the line will bring them back in some way. Um, and so, you know, the 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 ending, giving them an ending in some way is not, is never necessarily having them, you know, get everything they want, you know, and get married and grow old and settle down and, and have kids and, or, you know, whatever, whatever their bliss will be. Um, it's always kind of, uh, you know, a, a closing of a chapter or, you know, the, the end of one chapter and the start of another one. Exactly. You can retcon anything, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You can, you can just pivot 180 degrees and run screaming in the opposite direction. And that's comics. Yeah. <laughs> and in 2019, who doesn't love a good reboot? I mean, they're everywhere. You have to kind of learn to love them, don't you really? Yeah. Otherwise you're going to end up living in a cave with no cable or internet. So <laughs> yeah, no more comics to read either. Cause they've all been rebooted. <laughs> Exactly. So you, Christy, you mentioned that you've started reading, uh, or you carried on reading Doom Patrol with uh, Rachel Pollock's run, um, which started with issue sixty-four. Yes, I just I just started it this week, and actually, actually, fun fact: Rachel Pollock taught at the grad school that I went to, and I went there not knowing who she was. <laughs> And never having taken any of her workshops. And it's something that I'm going to have to go to my grave, Ah, uh, realizing that I missed that opportunity. Although she did pull tarot cards for us for our final theses. I went to a hippie school (laughs) and it was, it was a wonderful experience, but I didn't quite understand why it was just so wonderful until later. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I, with like Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol, I read it obviously much later. I, I read it in like the trades that are kind of the, they're collecting Grant Morrison's run. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't really continue on for me. So I didn't, um, I've not picked up Rachel Pollock's comics. Are they, do they, you know, how do they compare? How do they continue on? Like the, how, how do you follow Grant Morrison? I suppose is the question I'm asking. That is a, that is a very valid question. And it's one that I've asked too. And Rachel really digs into kind of the the gender concepts that Grant sets up. And I love Grant Morrison. I'm a non-binary person. So that kind of representation early, early on in my comics journey was very cool. But he's a cis dude and he kind of runs up against some walls in terms of not getting past the alchemical marriage of those kinds of characters like Rebus. Yeah. And Rachel digs into those uh, those concepts being a transgender woman in really interesting ways. And I mean, in terms of imagination, she's on par with Grant, hands down. I mean, the the esoteric concepts, the fun craziness is the levels right up there. So I think she's the best possible person to take over the series. And she also really made it her own. And she shines as well. I'm I'm really kind of I'm I'm really glad that that's where the series continues on because I only read Morrison's Doom Patrol I think maybe two years ago, mm-hmm. um, and even then I I read through it and I thought you know this is this is good I'm enjoying Grant Morrison's ideas but it is also of its time and like yes. I don't like that as an excuse I don't like I don't like using that as an excuse but at the same time he was as you say like uh, a cis white dude that just kind of you know wrote from his experience um, mm-hmm. and his experience d- did not stretch to the the reaches of kind of the the evolution of gender studies and like that that he's tackling in the issues you know so it's um so it kind of you you read it now with a with an asterisk at the end almost a little bit kind of it's great asterisk um and whereas to know that that's where the series the series doesn't shy away from that or a subsequent writer doesn't just kind of brush that under the carpet to, to actually tackle that head on and and kind of present those in in more you know, positive ways or, or at least more experienced ways. That's quite reassuring. Yeah, it's cool. I I give a lot of props to Grant for having the imagination and kind of the plasticity to talk about stuff like this. I do, you know, I read his stuff with the, knowing that he has an outsider's perspective on a lot of things. And whereas he and others uh, treat kind of certain concepts as approaching the mystery. Some of us in, inhabit the mystery or it's part of our lives. So we have different views on it. And it's nice to see someone who inhabits uh, a different kind of gender expression come afterward and really give birth to something new and different in that series. Yeah. And, and that kind of uh, ties in, you know, in, in, a, in a way with, with Ms. Marvel in this, in the spirit of they're both, they're both, exploring diversity and exploring things that are, that don't often get get shone a light on in a positive way rachel pollock's doom patrol at least that it's you know it, it's gender and it's sexuality and it's and, and and it's that kind of that area of of our lives and with ms marvel it's it's religion and it's being muslim being modern muslim um in like kind of in new jersey and and kind of growing up in that lifestyle that you that doesn't get explored in in superhero comics or if it does it's it's often in a negative way really and or offers him 
from the point of view of, a, you know, how does a white man react to this? And it will be interesting to see what Saladin Ahmed brings to this. It's it's very hard to judge at this point since it's only been one issue. And a good first issue is sort of setting up a story. And it looks like they're setting up a story where um, the fa- um, family is going to be at the heart of it. And Kamala is going to be reconciling her superhero side with her family because her mother knows Kamala Khan is Ms. Marvel, but her father doesn't or didn't until the magnificent Miss Marvel number one. So it's going to, that uh, idea of the duality is still going to be there. Um, I, I wonder if it's going to lean a little more into the superhero side of things. But again, it's only the first issue last month, jury's still out. So I, I have a rule that I give every, I give every new series three issues before I decide if I love it or hate it. Um, I have to do the same with Ms. Marvel, even though I love her to bits already. <laughs> yeah. So um, final thoughts for, for both of you then, really. I want to ask you both, what, how have these comics influenced you as a comics fan? How have these comics kind of shaped you? How have they, have they changed you? Um, and what lessons have you, have you kind of learned from these issues? I hmm. think... Go ahead, Kate. <laughs> um, I'm going to bring up the D word, diversity, because I think this was a case of... Diver- Miss Marvel was a case of diversity done right. And you can do the idea of representation in your characters a good right or you can or it can be done wrong and sometimes when it's done wrong it's done in a way that it's sort of we have to do this so that we don't upset a certain section of the internet and it's not done with care and this was a case where it was done with care and it was done in a way that really made it more of this is just who she is hey she's muslim hey it's it was the same way as like hey she likes video games hey she likes cool ranch Doritos. It wasn't done in such a way that it was like a finger point, like, oh my gosh, she's Muslim every five pages. So how that's approached me as a comics fan is I look at series that really just are more characters where aspects of their personality are just there. Um, I want to see, I want to see the same treatment done with a, um, with an autistic character. And I, I point to this because again, I mentioned earlier, I have a niece on the autism spectrum and April is World Autism Awareness Month. I would love to see a character where it is just done in a way that it's not a very special episode to use a phrase from my childhood of certain TV shows doing the very special episode about a social issue, ta- a social issue. It's just there. And that being said, there are there is a place for those very special series but you have to have them in the right hands. Um, A great example of this is uh, The Unstoppable Wasp with Jeremy Whitley, where it is tackling uh, the topic of mental illness. And it is making that a focus. It is making it the very special episode. In fact, the second arc is going to, which kicks off later this month, is going to focus a lot on the mental illness aspect. And I'm being very vague in this because I don't want to spoil but it's not going to be like one of those heavy, it's not going to be heavy handed, I think. It's going to do it in a way that is accessible and understandable. And that's also what I look for. I look for things that are, ex- my comics, I want something that's accessible and I want something that's understandable. Now, Grant Morrison, I know he likes to play with these very heavy highfalutin concepts. And sometimes I, sometimes you gotta, you know, sometimes you want something a little more intellectual and that's okay. <laughs> but if we want to broaden comics. Um, We want to be good ambassadors for comics. 
And we want to introduce our friends and family who may look at comics as still something you read when you were kids, or if your my mother recently said to me, oh, all I ever heard of comics was Archie. And you want to break down those walls. You want something that's accessible and, and done. You want something that's accessible and something that shows representation in a, it's just part of life. Perfectly put. And what about you, Krista? I I count myself as a person who no longer worships at the altar of Grant Morrison as kind of the be-all end-all of comics. And, you know, that's thanks to being a decade on and understanding his contribution and his viewpoint in terms of what comics can do and not falling into the esoterica that he populates them with. But what I really love about this issue is that it's the closest that he ever comes because I think he has, he doesn't have a block with it, but like Kate says, you know, he operates at a certain level. And it's pretty lofty, and the emotions are big, and the the identities are big, and a lot of his concepts are really cosmic. But this is one of those issues where he digs into what's personally at stake for one of his characters and really just drives that home. And so what it did for me is it taught me that comics can be silly, weird, intellectual, and fun and heartbreaking at the same time. And so it's a lot, those are a lot of emotions and and things to hold all at once. And it still resonates with me. And so I don't, I don't expect that experience from everything that I read. If, but if it can be one of those things, and if it can be authentic to what it's trying to do, then bring it on. Also, Kate, if your mom hasn't read Archie versus Predator, definitely should recommend that. Don't tempt me. (laughs) I did say to her, I was <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> but you hit on a word that I was just thinking of in my babbling that it's, that it's in for both of these cases, it's an issue that was authentic. It wasn't mm-hmm. trying to be something that it wasn't. Exactly. These were characters that weren't trying to be somebody that they're not. Yeah. And that's representation anybody. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on can get behind is when it's a character that feels real. Like you can go out and have a beer or a coffee with them. Exactly. Like Kamala and Jane are both people who you might know in your life, who you might work with, who you might meet someday, who you might've known in the past. And they both feel very real. And I really like that. And so, you know, in the end, that's the reality of the D word, as you said, all the detractors, all of the folks who yell about how it's not authentic, all of the folks who are upset because to them, it doesn't feel like an inclusive experience. It is an inclusive experience for everyone because these are real, authentic characters that anyone can relate to if they just try. Yeah, I had a friend who used to work at New Jersey City University as their librarian, which is in Jersey City. And he's a big comics fan. And he would joke all the time that he couldn't wait to see Kamala Khan go to college because he wa- he could say, he wanted to see her go to NJCU so he could say, I was Ms. Marvel's librarian. <laughs> <laughs> or is she going to go to Rutgers? <laughs> exactly. Probably going to go to Rutgers to get away from home because that's still, yeah. like, geography-wise in the state of New Jersey, it's close enough that she could come home on the weekends, but it's far away enough that she's away from her family. My partner is from Somerville. So while I am not a Jersey native, I have a, fu- a very firm appreciation of New Jersey. The language. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but again, it's that authenticity that he saw that someday Kamala Khan could have been re- one of his students that walked in the library. It could have been one of, reflected in one of the students that walked in the library. He's since moved on. He's no longer in that position, which I find. And, but I'm sure he still sees kids that look like Kamala Khan coming into the library he's working in today. And again, that's that's diversity. That's when you look at someone and say, hey, this dude looks like me. 
And this is not to say that we figured out this diversity, the idea of diversity and representation in comics. We still have a long ways to go in a lot of respects. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're, I think we're in a lot better place in 2019 than we were even five years ago. And I think that the conversation continues to evolve. And eventually the the haters, the haters gonna hate, like Taylor Swift says. <laughs> but they're gonna be they're gonna find that they're gonna be getting drowned out. And they're gonna and they're gonna find that their that viewpoint is just going to die a slow, painful death because it's not popular anymore. This is the only way we get we get new people to read comics too, because if you've grown up your entire life never having seen yourself in media, never having read about yourself, and here comes a comic that has, you know, a very tender, inclusive, and intricate look at your faith and your identity, that's for you. And that's an experience that not all of us are going to understand and that we don't have to, but it's important and it should exist. Mm-hmm. And just the other day, like as we're recording this, there was that photo doing the rounds of Brie Larson, and she's stood with like a dozen like young girls all dressed like Captain Marvel, and that kind of made mm-hmm. that made me melt. It was amazing. I love that. Um, when we went to see Captain Marvel, my boyfriend, white cisgender male, loved it more than me, and I think I still had my critical hat on because I was reviewing it for the site. Oh yeah, and I had just <laughs> written the review the day before. But he was just bowled over by it. And, and my, I've talked with my white cisgender male friends, and they've loved it. And they, I think it surprised them in a way how much they've loved it. Um, the, the conversation is changing in a good way. And the the comics gates trolls the the ones that still want our superheroes to be to look and to act a certain way are going to find themselves in a very 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 small minority very soon. Well, what a, a lot of those folks don't realize is that comics comics have always been a haven for people who are different, and it's yes. we've just gotten to a point where we don't have to code it anymore. Mm-hmm. And there have been deep, deep problems with the industry, both in portrayals, in books, and behind the scenes as well. So it's not a perfect universe. But, you know, those of us who have been reading, we we have known what to look for. And now we don't have to dig as hard or compromise on our experiences. And that's important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think about also the idea that there's more freedom to tell different, there's more opportunities for publishing. There's more publishers, mm-hmm. there's self-publishing. There's so many different ways people can tell their stories. Um, some of the best comics I love have been kickstarted comics. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you are out of the industrial complex of a large publisher, you have more of that freedom. More stories. Just give us more stories. <laughs> yeah, that's all we want. More stories, more characters. That's all we want. It's- more is better. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's a great time to be... A comics fan, in a comics fan, I think it's becoming more popular, and, and it's becoming more mainstream. I shouldn't say popular, mainstream. When you think about how Avengers Endgame practically broke the internet, <laughs> to, I had friends who waited an hour just to buy tickets. We waited one day, and now we're stuck going Sunday afternoon. <laughs> um, you have character. You have um, character selling. You have character selling products now. My sister doesn't know who the heck Baby Groot is in terms of Guardians of the Galaxy, but she fell in love with Baby Groot because when Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two came out, I think it was last summer, Baby Groot was on everything, and she's like, "Baby Groot's so cute." And then I called her one day. I was like, "Uh, you want the DVD of the first movie? We've got it. We'll send it to you." No, no, I just think he's cute. But there is, there's, yeah, I love that. 
but there is there is that uh, superheroes are becoming more mainstream than they were a generation ago for me. Um, it's not the there is again, and we always say this. There's still ways we can go. Um, there are still ta- there are still comic shops where I think women won't feel necessarily welcome. There have been some I have gone into where I have not felt very necessarily welcome as a woman, but it's a lot better than it was even five. I said even five years ago. And that's that's the that's the important thing really is that we keep moving forward. We keep promoting the things that we love. We keep reinforcing the positivity and reinforcing the the diversity and, and reinforcing the kind of the the attitudes and the 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 actions that we want to see and we want to see that change. And I think it's it's more than time for that kind of thing to happen. Exactly. And, you know, my kind of looping back to what we were first talking about, I always aim my critique to be, you know, thorough, but fair. It's like, if I don't like something, I'm going to tell you why in the hopes that it could be, you know, I'm not putting it, I'm not giving myself props. I'm saying, I can make your comic better for you. Just read my review. But in the hopes that it it betters the thing that I'm reading, you know, it's not to tear someone down. It's to say, hey, this doesn't work. Do it again. Yeah. All, that's that's what we all do. We just try again. Or, you know, it might work for somebody else and that's cool. But I think uh, to keep the industry fresh and positive and authentic, that voice is important as well. Like I have a friend who lo- who I love politically tinged comics like and I have to get back to reading this. But Days of Hate is a great example. Um, Vindication is the, the comics that are real that really lean into social justice issues. I have a friend who hates that stuff. And every time he because he has his own podcast. And every time I see that he's going to be talking about a book, it's like, P ain't going to like this. I'm just calling it now. <laughs> and I have said to him, like, I, if I was a betting woman, I'd bet 10 bucks you wouldn't like book X because I know it's it leans into that political, that social justice. And I know you like your comics for escapism. And it goes back to this idea that we learned in library science of every reader its book, every book its reader. There's something for everyone. And comics that have just been about blasters and punching planets and all that stuff have been around forever. And so has the political content. So something for everyone, like you said. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much both for, for joining me. It's been it's been wonderful to kind of listen to, you know, listen to why you love comics and the comics that you love as well. So um, so thank you both for joining me. Before we um, before we go, um, can you both uh, give me tell me where you where we can find you on the Internet? Like, you know what your what your various handles are, anything you want to pimp. Now's the time to do it. Um, uh, so, yes. Yeah, so we'll start with you, Krista. Where can we find you? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at at socialbutts, which is the most mature username I still possess to date. <laughs> um, <laughs> every, time I, every time I tag you on Twitter, I'm like snickering at my desk, just so you know. <laughs> Thank you. I know I need to change it, but as I've said, it gives me such a perverse joy that every time someone retweets something that I've done, they have to put my handle in there. <laughs> it's like the, the 13-year-old boy that lives inside of me is just like, good joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a thoughtful and insightful commentary from at social butts <laughs> yeah very very uh haute critique here ladies and gentlemen <laughs> and uh you can find my work on multiversity you can find it on outrightgeekery.com and um, i have my own website in the works as well so thanks so much for the opportunity and it's just been lovely to talk to you both amazing thank you and uh Kay, what about you okay so um at Multiversity, I am 99% of the time the person behind at Multiversity.com. 
So when I make dumb jokes like about Matt bearing it all and <laughs> discussing the Fantastic Four <laughs> as I did today. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> and if you are wondering why we're all laughing, you need to go read his uh, annotations column on the re- Fantastic Four reboot Baxter building, especially <laughs> this month's installment, because it does sort of lay it bare, pun intended. <laughs> so um, personally, my Twitter is at librarian underscore Kate. Um, in terms of writing, um, over on Multiversity, doing mostly the graphic novels. So once a month, I'm one of the graphic novel folks. Uh, I am currently recapping the um, Netflix's The Umbrella Academy. So we've got two more episodes of that to go. I also am at Women Write About Comics, and I do our monthly pub watch column specifically for Titan. And that should be dropping this week because I have to actually write it tomorrow. Well, thank you again. Thank you very much. Um, I will endeavor to embody the spirit of diversity and positivity as we move forward, um, but also keep a little strange and crazy, uh, just like Grant Morrison as well. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, thank you very much, uh, both of you. And uh, I'll speak to you both again soon. Great. This was a blast. Thanks. And I'm glad the show's back. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much, folks. Speak to you both soon. That's the Issue is part of the Multiversity Comics Podcast Network. You can find this show and plenty more at multiversitycomics.com. You can subscribe to the show via Apple, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please consider sharing this episode with a friend. The show is on Twitter at That's the Issue, and I'm on there too at Matt Loon. Finally, you can contact the show via email at that's the issue podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.